1: talk is about to begin hey hey
0: hey come on in welcome back to the special saturday buckeye talk doug laymarie and nathan baird i'm in ohio nathan baird is in new york city we told you guys we were going to do this we didn't know what it would happen we didn't know how it would fit in nathan's schedule and it turns out that nathan was traipsing around the city following heisman candidates all day so we are getting this up It's going to be Saturday by the time you guys hear this. The Heisman Trophy ceremony is Saturday night in New York. CJ Stroud is there, along with Bryce Young of Alabama, Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan, and Kenny Pickett of Pitt, and Nathan Baird of A Beanfield in Illinois. So, Nathan, we want to. The reason we wanted to do this is listen, you know, we paid to send you to New York City. So, like, you're writing. I hope people are reading the stuff you're writing at cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk, you're texting, you're sort of texting through your day, which I found very interesting. But we wanted to talk about it too. We also will, before the end of this podcast, touch briefly on the fact that Ryan Watts transferred from Ohio State, entered his, entered the portal, planned to transfer uh, on Friday, and the contract for Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator, came out, and it is $1.9 million a year, and he's got a little signing bonus, so he's actually going to make more than $2 million in his first year. And we'll touch on that, but that's not the point of this, Nathan. Do you have fun?
1: I'm having fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Long it's day. Not, right? It's not
1: that fun until like you're done working. And then you're like, all right, we're going to go walk um, 20 blocks and try to find uh, some overpriced, overpriced police. That's a little less overpriced than times square.
0: Did uh, you didn't need it to Sparrow in times square, right? I, did. I didn't know. No. Tempting. Yes, it is. Did, so actually, nobody cares whether you had fun or not, to be frank. No. Uh, did C.J. Stroud have fun? What was it like? How much of the day were you able
1: to spend with C.J. Stroud within your line of sight? So, so not a ton. They didn't get in until this morning. They flew in. I think they landed about uh, 10, 30, something like that. I was told they also flew into New Jersey, as did I. And um, they got we didn't get them until about two o'clock. And then um, so we got to see we got to have some conversation with him then. And then I uh, didn't st- sit there and file stories. I then kind of walked behind, ran behind the, the caravan as it made its way from the Marriott Marquis, which is where everything is kind of going on until the actual presentation, at Lincoln Center on Saturday night um, caravan from there across. Broadway and down the street. I don't know New York that well to Rockefeller center where they were doing some sort of an event with ESPN. So I kind of got to see that experience. And that was really the one time where they were in the wild, where you got to see the players a little bit because they had everything very sequestered um, when they were actually at the hotel. And even when they got to Rockefeller center, they had things pretty cordoned off. I'm not really sure how I slid through to be able to like, keep following them and be back there. But they uh, when they first left the hotel, you got a little bit like there were just a couple of people standing there. They were like, oh, that's that's CJ Stroud from Ohio State. And like, I think they figured out something was going on. Um, But it was the rest of the time. I mean, people who've ever been to New York City know that it's just a mass of people moving uh, as, as Ryan Day often says, like when he's describing, you know, it's like his favorite, one of his favorite phrases. He's talking about like Rutgers doing a trick play or whatever on special teams. Like it's like a New York sidewalk out there, and it's that's kind of what it is. It's just like you get mo- pushed along by this mass of bodies, and the next thing you know, you they're they're another place. So they, it's weird to think of that that like these are guys, all three of these guys because Pickett wasn't here. Pickett was receiving, and I wish I had made note of it. He was receiving another award tonight, so he wasn't actually here today. He won't join this stuff until. Saturday but the rest of the group I mean it's Aiden Hutchinson who might be the number one overall pick in the next draft it's Bryce Young who's about to win the Heisman Trophy and it's uh, CJ Stroud who I guess by those comparisons seems like a relative lesser or whatever but I mean is a Heisman Trophy finalist and is going to be you know a potential high NFL draft pick someday and I don't feel like I didn't get the vibe that they were like gawkers they weren't people like coming up and Trying to get autographs and stuff like that, because I, I, they, they just look like normal college kids when they're not wearing uniforms, really. Um, on a New York street, maybe they don't stand out that much. There's a lot of weird stuff on the average New York street on a given day. So that was kind of an interesting experience of itself, just to kind of watch them. I don't think they live lives of anonymity very much. And maybe this New York City experience, oddly, I mean, they're about to go on like national TV and be seen by millions of people in a big spotlight on a big stage Saturday night. But leading up to it, it felt very like maybe one of the few times they can kind of let their guard down a little bit, be normal and just talk amongst the three of them and, and, and get to know each other a little bit. And just have this sort of shared, very unique, but um, very um, just kind of uh, what I want to say, like a unique experience under them, but, but one that they get to sort of share and in with each other.
0: Aiden Hutchinson looks less like a normal person, right? Isn't he a couple inches bigger? Like he, does he stick yeah. out walking down the street compared to CJ and Bryce?
1: Large, large dude. Yeah. And Bryce, especially next to Bryce, Bryce is not a big guy. Uh, CJ has got a little bit more height to him. Um, I, I posted a photo that I took of like the three of them. ESPN was doing something with Holly Rowe where she had them like, this is where everybody comes in New York and they look out at whatever's out there. And, um, and they're in like like in a row, of like tallest to shortest in the picture that I took. And Aiden Hutchinson, yeah, he's is a large guy. Like so you don't sometimes appreciate that until you're like right next to those guys. I mean, we we get used to it after a while. Um, until like Dewan Jones walks in the room, and then you, you you like all perspective gets thrown off. So it was a little bit like that. I know when you and I were talking to CJ this week in
0: Columbus, he brought up. When he was, I think, in eighth grade and his team in California played Bryce Young's team in California in some kind of championship game, I think, in the Snoop Dogg Football League, you, you wrote about it in one of the stories that you posted at cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk on Friday. Could you tell that CJ and Bryce are friends
1: like what the way they were hanging out? Was it sort of like two buddies getting to see each other again? Yeah, there was a little bit of that. I All I had was my iPhone. I did not get a good picture of it, but they basically split the interviews up today between the they had like all the print people in one room and then they had like the video opportunity outside of it. So you basically had to go to both things and as one was and they were shuffling them back and forth. So as CJ got up to leave his video photo op part of it, Bryce was coming in for his all the way around. Bryce was leaving his, CJ was coming in for his, and you could tell that there was like an exchange there and like, not just a, uh, Hey, I just met you the other day. Like these guys know each other. And they, um, they were walking there was that conversation. They were sort of talking to each other more as they were making their way up Broadway than Hutchison. not like he was off by himself, but you could tell that there was like a different rapport there with those two. And, and those guys go, go back a long way. And it's it's interesting that these two guys who were just you know because if you've ever worked at like a smaller paper at some point you've probably had to cover like youth football like that kind of age of football and like it never enters your mind that like those two guys are going to go play for heisman trophy one day but like you can go watch the the videos that these guys were doing it was obviously an advanced level of that but being like eighth grade guys and still looking like so young and so um and I think the word that I used was awkward like relative to what they are now where they're these refined athletes uh, but that they to to have those guys then end up here in the same place um, all the way across the country and and even having like these midpoints at the schools they ended up with like you start in California and you go all the way across the country just to get to college and then you go kind of all the way across the country again to have a moment like this it's it's pretty fun and that game, that eighth grade game is on YouTube. Is that right? From what? Yeah, I, I found one that is it's number seven. And, and the I, I did like I felt like I was one of these guys that if you're big into like the memorabilia collecting, like like uh, photo matching is like a big thing. If you can tell that they used a bat in a game or whatever. And I was like trying to match up the jersey that CJ Stroud was using in his highlight, his like personal highlight video with the one that's on in the actual one of the game but like all the dates match up and the, and the way that he described the game everything matched up so it's it's on there it's um uh, it, the uh pomona steelers that was his team against the ie ducks inland empire ducks and that's what bryce young was playing for so bryce young in full like oregon colors and wings and everything on the jerseys and cj stroud wearing like the black and gold
0: All right, so if people Google that in the Google machine and find it on YouTube, you can go see Bryce Young and CJ Stroud back in the day, and it's like, well, it's only like five years ago. Yeah, like it's they are not they are not that far removed from eighth grade, and now they're at the Heisman Trophy ceremony.
1: Yeah, it's U14, which then you you start to do the math, and you're like, yeah, I mean, these guys are still you think of them as so young, but then it's also like they're really they're sophomores in college, you know, redshirt freshmen, but sophomores in college. So, yeah, it's it's been um, but to watch how those how two athletes who like clearly were like great athletes for their level, like there's a separation there. But then to see just how far they individually have come to become what what you see them doing on a football field now is kind of stark. There
0: are great athletes, maybe not in bean fields in Illinois, but there are great athletes facing off against each other in eighth grade football games all over the country from Cleveland to Columbus, to Chicago, to Seattle, to Atlanta, to Miami, to new Orleans, to Boston. And they're not, you're not in New York following them around, but the two guys from an eighth grade championship game in LA are here together is pretty remarkable. Did you get a chance very much to, to ask Bryce young about CJ or hear, hear Bryce young talk very much about CJ.
1: I did. I, I got a couple questions in with him, and I wanted to kind of get his grasp of tell me what like you or tell me what fourteen year old Bryce Young thought of fourteen year old C.J. Stroud. And I didn't quite get to it didn't quite come out that way exactly, but you know, he I thought had a good perspective on you know you because because the way that the timeline went, like Bryce Young had already committed to USC. Before CJ Stroud had committed to anyone and really was still struggling to get like big offers, like his offers were not that impressive at that point. And they were I mean, they. I guess they were power five. I shouldn't you can't sneeze at that, but they, they weren't they weren't uh, uh, the, the kind that he eventually got. And then like by September of twenty nineteen, Bryce Young is decommitting from USC to commit to Alabama. So like taking it up a whole notch and like CJ Stroud is still just then finally like getting the recognition where he had gone to the opening and gone to the elite 11 and done the things he did. But I asked Bryce young kind of about that. Like, you know, you got, you popped out first, but this guy that you were kind of going toe to toe with, like, did you think that could be there for him too? And he's like, yeah. Like when, when those offers started coming, when he finally started getting that recognition, that wasn't because CJ Stroud had all of a sudden figured out how to play football. It was because those people were just catching up to what was already there to some extent. And from talking to his, his mom a little bit too, that it, that's been, and this isn't new news to anybody, but like that there was a platform beyond that, those eighth grade championship, situations that CJ Stroud just didn't really have access to yet. He was very much a basketball guy. Um, He talked about basketball a lot. And he talked about it. I thought the other day with us a lot, I think he talks about it. He was talking about it again. Still today. I was there. um, One of the guys that came out with him was a a guy named miles Jones, who is a junior college basketball player. Now and was like just his best friend from back in the day, came out with his family for this trip. And I was talking to him for a while. And so it was clear that like football didn't really click in for as a priority for him until late. So I think that was, it was interesting to hear that again, not just from the Stroud camp or the people around CJ Stroud, but to have someone like Bryce Young say like, it was clear that this guy could play ball. It was just, he needed to get in front of more eyes. And then once those eyes saw it, this is, that was the obvious realization they were going to come to as well. So I thought that was an interesting perspective to hear from someone who had kind of watched him come up through the stages. I know Gene Smith, I think had tweeted a
0: photo. So his CJ's mom is there so that he was able to have some friends. Who else was, is there with him to support him and for this.
1: Uh, One of his um, brothers and his sister. And then this best friend of his that he he went to high school with.
0: Pretty cool. So is he, Did it feel like I know CJ before he left was saying, I've never been to New York city before. I'm always, I'm not always. I'm curious about this kind of thing. Sometimes does it look like they're having fun or does it look like they're being paraded around like zoo animals? And the whole thing is just an ESPN show and they are characters in it. Or did they get a couple moments to be like, man, like I'm in New York city. Not that being on ESPN is punishment. I mean, like that's cool too but did it look like C.J. Stroud was getting, able to enjoy himself the way the day was laid out?
1: You know, I think it's probably a sliding scale. I think it probably starts off. And, I, uh, he, you know, he'd never been here. Uh, his mom said she'd never been here. The friend I talked to said he'd never been here. So you're just kind of like whisked into New York and like you go straight to lunch and then you're straight to all this media stuff and people are firing questions at you. Uh, I, I think that there is... A certain level of enjoyment to it, I think you start to probably feel a little bit like you're in a fishbowl after a while. So I, I think the, I don't know how much time I would imagine that tonight, I think they had a dinner tonight and we're maybe going to probably get some time to just sit back and relax eventually. And cause tomorrow on Saturday, I know that they have, there's a very early morning. If people are listening to this, I think he's due to be on sports center at like, 7 40 a.m. or something like that they have um, a, a dress rehearsal that they have to do they have another appearance they're doing at the at the army navy game i think like there's there's a lot of stuff going on and they are kind of whisked here and there and and bounced around so it's not like they're here really getting to take in the city i think they got to do it a little bit obviously the location of it you're in times square that in itself just walking Times Square for the first time in your life for five minutes is a little bit of an experience. So they're getting some of that. But um, I imagine there's also just a lot of, um, there's got to be some nerves to it too, right? I mean, like you're about to go sit on this dais in front of like, you know, how many people are watching the Heisman Trophy ceremony and and the the, the folks there are going to be asking you questions. You're going to be on camera and they always pan to the crowd for mom and everybody. And so there's probably some nerves that go into that, too. So I I don't know. I I would imagine that to some extent there could be some probably relief by the time they get on a plane Sunday morning.
0: Where will you be tomorrow during the ceremony? Do you get to be in a room or are you an auxiliary phone booth somewhere? Where do they put you?
1: Yeah, no, we're at some uh, we're at a remote location just watching on TV, so no, we won't be actually in the the place itself. And then they don't bring the they only bring the winner to the place to do media. So okay. unless if CJ Stroud doesn't win, I don't believe we'll talk to him again tomorrow. Oh no, that's not true. We do have a media thing in the afternoon at like five o'clock or so, but I don't think we'll have a um, we don't get him after unless he wins one of the only time
0: I covered the Heisman was in 2006 with Troy Smith and Troy won and like left. And we were like, what is happening? And we had to like, get him on the phone, like after the fact, because we were like, we're, we came to New York to cover this and we didn't get to talk to him after he won. So yeah, I'm glad they have a little more organized than that. Uh, Okay. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back on Buckeye talk with more on Nathan's day in the big city. 614-350-3315. That's how you get the text. I thought this was like a really fun text day, right? On Friday that here's Nathan, like walking behind CJ Stroud and giving you a little bird's eye view. Uh, And then there was other news happening too. So it was a good day, good value for the texts. Again, you get value in it, even if they're not playing for a national title, even if it's not the week of the Michigan game, that kind of thing, that what we see, what we hear, we text it to you immediately, before we do anything else with it. So, you know, Nathan, we're doing this podcast. Nathan, some of the stuff that Nathan's talking about now he texted 12 hours ago. So, that's what the texts are like. It's like a podcast in your pocket 12 hours before you hear it with your ears. 614-350-3315 for a 14-day free trial. All right, so who's there? So, Joey Kaufman from the Dispatch is there, right? What is the big Ohio State contingent following nope. CJ around?
1: Uh, Joey's here. Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts is here. Uh, Kevin noon from Buckeye scoop is here and me. Okay. That's pretty good. Cause we did not as cleveland.com. We did not go
0: with Dwayne in 2018 or with Justin and chase in 2019. Did we, right. did we talk about going? We didn't give a ton of consideration to going with Dwayne in 2018. Cause we knew he was going to finish third and we thought he was going pro. So there wasn't like an extent, excuse me, an extended
1: story there. I don't remember. You were here in 2019. Did we talk about going to 19? There was more consideration about 2019, especially because there were two finalists and then Joe Burrow on top of that, who had, obviously there was Ohio state connections there. I, I think the ultimate decision was, um, and I don't know this for sure. I think knowing that Joe Burrow was one who was going to win, it was going to be a landslide. I think affected it. I think also that, um, you know, as you're trying to figure out what you're going to spend to do things, Ohio State still had potentially two games that it was going to in the postseason that year, as opposed to just one. So things like that get factored in. It's an expensive trip. Can be. No, it is. I mean, like it's just the reality of today that any any
0: media outlet, you've got to consider where you spend your bucks so the fact that Ohio State's not in the playoff, right, probably made it a little easier for us to go to this so did you feel like did you get a little insight you get to be around CJ's family a little bit you get to meet one of his best friends from his childhood you get to see him in this environment did you get did you did you come away with
1: some feeling like hey you know
0: what I got that was some good CJ time
1: yeah and and especially meeting his friend Miles I thought was the kind of person that you don't normally meet like it's that can give you real insight into just the kind of person that CJ is. And it was interesting to hear him talk with like such conviction about like, just first of all, I guess what a good dude CJ is. And then on top of that, um, kind of asking him like, okay, so you like you played with a lot of good athletes, a lot of good athletes in California. You saw a lot of good kids that had some skill. Like what is it about him that set him apart? And he could talk a little bit. About the things, kind of that CJ was saying about himself. About hey, you know, every every day at lunch he was going to do stuff, and and every you know, um, getting up on Saturday mornings with him when nobody told us to, but like we're going in the gym to shoot baskets and we're going out to the field to throw and whatever, like that sort of stuff. Sometimes you you get in these echo chambers and you wonder about how much the those things are just getting um, repeated because they become like this easy narrative so it's nice to like to be able to peel off of the usual sources that we get and talk to people who have a different perspective um and especially if they're sort of affirming the things that you have heard you know what i mean and i don't know how much you get to tell it's still a very structured environment here um that they keep these guys in like you know they're being ushered here they're being ushered there in and out of these rooms, you got uh, you know Mike Basford, the the SID um, assistant SID, I should say for for House David is the one that's kind of shepherding things here, um, and he listens to the podcast. So thanks, Mike, for for your help this weekend. And so there's you know it's very professional here. I don't know that you, I don't know that you get to see a lot of unguarded moments from them, but you every time you're around them where they're not wearing a uniform and where they're not brought in in front of the the podium in the middle of a week or whatever, I think you do start to get just some vibe of what that person's about. And CJ Stroud does seem to be a guy who is pretty laid back and, but uh, laid back in terms of um, how he treats people. But I think also every time you hear him talk and you try to get him from different angles with different questions, you hear the seriousness of purpose that he has and just that conviction that he has to keep doing Keep, you know, take this up to the next level. So when you had the media access on Friday, did you
0: get a lot of time with CJ or were there a bunch of national people there peppering CJ with questions? Like how many people, how long did you get around? I think people like some of this inside talk. Like, how's this work? How long was the CJ availability and how many people were there asking questions?
1: I was surprised at how few national people were there um recognized our buddy ralph russo from the ap who people probably know um from from twitter and and the coverage that he does and things like that but not a lot of other national people of note at least today i don't know if there's people who swoop in to do more stuff on the night of the announcement i know a lot of those people are based in new york not a lot today although a lot of those guys are at home texting uh ADs and coaches, and trying to get scoop on all these coaching changes that are still happening across the country, but a, a pretty small contingent. But we didn't get a lot of time. Like, we, I want to say 10 or 15 minutes in the, in the room where they had him sitting, that was more for like the print folks, and then 10 or 15 minutes in the other room. Uh, and then I got one more question in with CJ at Rockefeller center when I, when I was like, Hey, I just ask him this one thing to clarify this thing for what I'm writing. And it turned out not to be anything. That was like my one extra question with CJ. So, uh, but it, it's, it wasn't a ton of like, uh, you don't get a lot of one-on-one any one-on-one access. Maybe there's, there's guys who finagle that at the national level. I don't know, but as far as like the, the, the mass of us, which wasn't, again, it wasn't a big mass. Um, it really was Relative, relatively brief. Did you ice skate at Rockefeller Center? I didn't. I I don't know how to ice skate. We we were smart enough where I grew up to stay off of the ponds. I don't really know how to ice skate either, but
0: Rockefeller Center is the kind of place where a person who doesn't know how to ice skate can ice skate. Because it's not super icy, and so you can
1: just walk on skates. But
0: then it's actually not that fun, but it's more like you can say, I did it.
1: So, it's also New York City, though. I assume they would charge me like at least $75 to ice skate for no, 10 minutes. That's why you got to do it while you're there on Cleveland.com's dime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's
0: like, hey, send it up to, hey, what's this uh, $85 skating expense? And Nathan's like, well, I, I was just trying to feel what it was like to be CJ Stroud. So I decided to ice skate. All right. I can't wait to find out how much I'm being charged for this tap water I'm drinking. Look at you. You hat. are such a Beanfield boy. You're like, I'll tell you what, New York City,
1: the water here. Dude, you can go outside and find a slice for 99 cents, like right now, probably. Oh, yeah. We, we passed some of those with three, do- two slices and a Coke for
0: $2.99. That's like the number one reason my daughter is interested in going to college in New York City is two slices and a Coke for $2.
1: that's $2.99. A, that's as good a reason as any, I think. Yeah. I did find out tonight as we were trying to figure out where we're supposed to go eat. The woman who was working the room was like, make sure just. What you gotta know is look at the windows and oh no, maybe it was Ralph. Somebody told us that, like you just they don't have this in any other city. Like they have the, the the in the windows, they have the little square with the big letter on it, and you only eat at the A restaurants because it's like A, B, C, and D for how what they got on their health inspections, and so only eat at the A places, and they're like very prominent. I didn't really? I had never noticed that before this trip. That would make, make me
0: nervous if, if New York City did that for podcasts. It'd be like, only listen to the A podcast. It'd be like, oh, but what if the C podcast does five a week? All right. We'll get to take one more quick break. Do you have any more, any more CJ uh, insight, any more New York City tales, any yarns? One time I was walking into Central Park and there was a rat right in the path. And I decided to, I turned around and left. And, and, and another time when I was working at the newspaper I worked at in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, I went to go cover a filming of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? When, who Wants to Be a w- Millionaire was like sweeping the nation. So I went to cover that. And, and I was talking to people who were in line to go into the taping of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And somebody had ordered a pizza. And it was delivered by a guy on a bike because someone, and he, this is, I mean, this was like 20 years ago. This was like ingenuity back then. Hey, I called a pizza place and the guy came on a bike to deliver the pizza. So the guy pulled up on his bike, got off the bike, was delivering the pizza to the person in line, and somebody else ran up and jumped on the bike and stole it and drove away. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in New York City for this game show story. Don't hurt me.
1: That was... Uh, in New York I, I City. didn't I didn't see anything that weird there was somebody uh, somebody who works at the restaurant that we went to tonight had parked their bike in this fairly small restaurant I guess for that same reason that you can't just leave your you can't just put your bike on a on a on a chain out front or whatever in New York City because somebody's gonna ride it off into the sunset so um no nothing too crazy we haven't seen anything too weird we did talk to like to go back to the football stuff I talked to Aiden Hutchinson a little bit just kind of wanted to get his reflections on facing CJ Stroud and you know we made a lot as everyone did about how much pressure they brought that that day to get to what was it 31 pressures and 15 of them came from Hutchinson and they i it was a strategy to be sure but it sounded like it was almost i almost say desperation but they had watched enough film and saw that no one else was getting any pressure on Stroud. Like we've remarked on that many times, but a combination of that offensive line and just sort of the way that he comports himself in the, in the pocket that they didn't really, nobody else was really forcing him to make bad decisions. And that was Michigan's whole game plan was you've got to get some kind of pressure and force him to make bad decisions. And obviously to some extent it worked. I mean, numbers wise, you would say, well, I mean, he completed like 70% of his passes for almost 400 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions. So he had a pretty good game and Hutchinson said that too. He's like, Hey, he had a good game, but at least we made him, we made him work for it. And I think in a game that could be that close, you know, one or two possessions might've made a difference. So I, I thought it was, again, it just, we don't often get to ask those questions to Aiden Hutchinson. It was good to have that experience a little bit.
0: All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and talk a little bit about Ryan Watts and Jim Knowles, and we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice and Nathan Baird, make sure you read what Nathan is going to write Saturday from the Heisman Ceremony on Saturday night. I thought it was a little, I don't know, I don't want to say it was odd, but they released who finished 5th through 10th in the voting, which they clearly have reevaluated some things. Maybe in the pandemic, but they've changed how they, if it's going to be four people all the time now, they're going to release five through 10 ahead of time to try to drum up interest. Was anyone talking about that today, Nathan, the, the, the changes to sort of the structure of the Heisman?
1: So I don't remember how they did it in 2019. I know last year they did something similar. Now it was a virtual ceremony last year, but they did something similar last year because we didn't know Justin Fields was a, not a finalist until they did that reveal on the ESPN show or whatever. So they did it in a little bit different order because it was just, they did a reveal of, I guess it was the finalist reveal and they counted down from 10 to whatever in order and fields was like sixth. So we knew, okay, well he's not a finalist this year. So they, but this was weird. I thought that they would name the finalists and then have a second show later in the week that they counted down five through 10. I don't know why they didn't do that at first, but I mean, I don't know. It's like anything else. It's like, it's, it's why get two pieces of, why do one piece of content when you can do two? And we all kind of do that a little bit. Something and, and, and they did in conjunction last night with all the awards shows and uh, the Herbie show and all that stuff. So, so if people didn't see it. Brees Hall, the Iowa state running back was
0: 10th in the Heisman voting Jordan Davis, the Georgia defensive tackle, Finished ninth. Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback, finished eighth. Desmond Ritter did appear on my final ballot. Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback, was seventh. Kenneth Walker, the third. Michigan State running back was sixth. And Will Anderson Jr., the edge rusher from Alabama, was fifth. Did anyone talk today how they think these four guys are going to shake out? And by the way, Kenny Pickett was not there today. Because he was getting, as you said, another trophy. So he didn't get to participate in the walk around, hang out with Nathan Baird part of it. Were you guys chit chattering with the media people saying how they think it's gonna go? Where they think CJ's gonna finish?
1: I mean, I uh, I, I think there's a, a prevailing sentiment that either third or fourth. I think there's I think a lot of people think it might be fourth. I was a little surprised to hear that. I was thinking it might he might be the third place guy and Pickett would be fourth just because Stroud had so recently been the front runner before things shifted so dramatically there at the end. So, um, by the way, Kenny Pickett was in Baltimore tonight, accepting the Johnny Unitas golden arm award, not noodle arm award, as I suggested in a text exchange that we had, but the golden arm award, um, he wasn't, he didn't
0: accept it. Madison, Wisconsin. So it could not be the noodle arm award.
1: That's true. That's right. Uh, but So I would be, I don't know. I would be surprised if he finished second at this point. I think it's probably going to be Young one and Hutchinson two. My guess it'll be a huge margin for Young as the winner
0: and a very clear margin for Hutchinson second. And then Stroud and Pickett close. And I wouldn't even be shocked if maybe Will Anderson fifth is within range of Mm -hmm. of third and fourth. Mm -hmm. And I will be curious to see... If I had to guess, I would guess Stroud is third, but I won't be dumbfounded if Pickett finishes third and Stroud fourth. And I'm not saying how I voted. I'm saying that's trying to anticipate. But Ohio State dudes are so much more famous than Pitt dudes. And Ohio State was on TV and in the playoff and race and all that a lot more than Pitt was. So, um, okay. Let's talk about the other two bits of news. Ryan Watts transferring from Ohio state. If you look now at the depth chart at cornerback, and I know you would talk to Ryan Watts a couple of weeks ago, and he had tried to transition to safety. But if you're thinking about the corners for next year, if, if both seven banks and cam Brown don't return, if they both leave, then you're four deep at corner for the moment, because you would have Denzel Burke, Legend Cavazos, and then Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson, both of whom were first-year guys this year and did not play at all because Cam Brown would be gone, Seven Banks would be gone, Marcus Williamson would be gone, Demario McCall would be gone, and then now Ryan Watts is gone. And then you have three guys coming in in the recruiting class. Um, You have Ryan Turner at corner. You have Jair Brown, and you have – who's the other guy? Uh, Terrence Brooks. Terrence Brooks Mm -hmm. is the highest rated of those three. Terrence Brooks, fifty-nine ranked uh, overall player. Are they cool? Are they cool at corner, or does that feel a little thin to you? And I think part of the calculus on this is we imagine now they play two corners that they're looking for two guys to be on the field out of this group because that third, that fifth defensive back is going to come more from the safety room from the corner room. So if you say you're going to play Burke and then you're going to play some combination of Hancock and Johnson and then Cavazos and these young guys are your backups. I don't know. Are you okay? Or is that thin?
1: No, I think it's thin. I think it's also thin from a talent standpoint too. I think they, they need better overall play at those spots. And obviously Denzel Burke got a good start this year. This is a great foundation for a true freshman. But I think that they need to elevate the play overall. Still in the back end of this defense, um, you know, especially in things like run support. I think some of that was exposed a little bit against Michigan in that game. So I, I don't. It's it's a precarious spot because on the one hand, yes, if Seven Banks and Cam Brown leave, you're thin. On the other hand, if they return, but don't take another step what also do you have like it feels like somebody needs to probably surpass that level of play that they were at last year to take this defense up to the notch to to the level that they're trying to to get to and they have these guys who are coming in you know especially brooks like very highly ranked guy but um you can't assume every year that a true freshman is going to come in and start for you at cornerback it's it's there's a reason why Denzel Burke hadn't, was the first one. And some of it is maybe philosophy, but some of it is also, that's just a tough job for a true freshman at the start of a year, especially.
0: So I think, I mean, Hancock and, and, and Johnson are both big time recruits. And right. It is not unreasonable to expect them as second year guys to be ready to play. So I think, from, and Denzel Burke has outplayed, his recruiting ranking already. He was one of the best true freshman defensive players in the country. So to me, if your top three guys for the two corner spots are those three, I think you're okay. I I think you're okay, but you're like one injury away from maybe needing some true freshman help. Watts is just a little disappointing because Watts got a lot of attention from people like us just because he was a little different. He was a tall corner, a tall, lanky corner. He was six two and a half, 187 as a recruiting profile, number 202 overall player in the class of 2020. It's very different because Tyreek Johnson was ranked a lot higher. That was a five-star guy. But it feels a little bit similar to me in that it's another corner that feels like a lost opportunity. It's not devastating. It doesn't mean they don't have other guys who can play. Denzel Burke being as good as he was right away is a games changer for them. But by the way, you know who also st- who started opposite Denzel Burke in the opener against Minnesota? Ryan Watts. Yeah, And now he's transferring because he, he barely played the rest of the year. I think their cornerback development has really, really, really been hurt since Kerry Combs stopped making cornerback development his number one job either because he wasn't here or because when he came back, he was the defensive coordinator, and that wasn't really his main thing anymore. And they have not necessarily across the board developed those guys in the same way. Now, listen, Denzel Burke, boom shakalaka. That's instantaneous cornerback development for a guy who didn't even play corner only in high school. So there's a lot of credit to go around for the success of Denzel Burke. It starts with Denzel Burke, but, we can extend that to Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs and Parker Fleming. I don't know. And who, anybody else who was involved with that, that is a great, great success story. And again, as we've said a million times, my gosh, what if he hadn't done that, they would have been in trouble, but Ryan Watts seems like a missed opportunity here because he was a 200 recruit, but with a profile, Nathan, that was like, Oh, this feels like some upside potential. And then it was like, no, not ready position switch. Nope. Gone. And maybe that's just the portal world, but it feels like, oh man, I thought that one might hit.
1: Yeah, and it it just seems like one of those guys who got caught a little bit in between because all these other guys we're talking about, like the Cam Browns, the Seven Banks, um, these are all like two hundred level guys too. I mean, they haven't been like you know getting um, high upper level defensive back recruits um, until now, just now they're starting to kind of bring him back in. But you're right that Watts intrigued so much because of his size and because it, it didn't seem to come at the expense of his other skills. And what's what, what is it? It was the urban Meyer. I had the old saying that like the first year is on us and the first two years are on us and year three is on you. Yep. And he was going to be going into the third year. I mean, he took a red shirt, He was on the field this year, but after the Minnesota game, which, by the way, I mean, he started, unlike Denzel Burke, who started the Minnesota game, we now know because he was the best defensive back on the team. Ryan Watts started the Minnesota game because Seven Banks and Cam Brown couldn't play. So somebody had to start there. And he played 49 snaps that game. And then I think by the pro football focus... Uh, tracker he played 71 defensive snaps the rest of the year and it was all just blowout second half stuff so he clearly just didn't have a trusted role on this defense after getting that much of a look at him and that much extra time during the spring because you know brown and banks were both out a lot in the spring you had like all the time in the world to to show what you had and it, it, Ohio State's coaches just obviously thought it wasn't there. And when I talked to him about the safety thing, cause that was kind of how I even started the conversation was like, so are you a cornerback or are you a safety? And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm a cornerback. We tried the safety thing and they decided it wasn't that I was bad at safety, but they decided I should be at cornerback. So that sort of told me that he wasn't going to surpass the other safety talent that they have right now, which would be, I mean, obviously Josh Proctor, when he comes back, if he comes back, but then Bryson Shaw, um Lathan Ransom like he wasn't beating out that level of guy for playing time although tough to do I suppose mid-season transact transition but then if you go think about it just from the cornerback depth if Banks and Brown decided not to return it wasn't like Ja'Kellen Johnson and Jordan Hancock were playing ahead of him as true freshmen so I don't know I'm I'm just curious w- where he felt like he he got pushed or he I'm not saying he was pushed I'm saying where he felt pushed where he felt like there just wasn't going to be traction for him to have a role this next season because uh, he didn't look great in the opener as I think a lot of you know again we compare everything now to what Denzel Burke did but you know a, a redshirt freshman who hadn't who hadn't played as a true freshman now he's starting the season opener at Minnesota I mean that's not an easy assignment so he didn't, it wasn't like he looked great that night, but then you um, know, he had a couple interceptions this year. Like when he played in those mop up times, I felt like there were some flashes here and there of this guy could make some plays. This guy could do some things. So it, yeah, I think that you, you said it the best way that it just feels like a missed opportunity, that there's something there. And for whatever reason, it's not going to be at Ohio state that it comes together, but somebody would seem to be Somewhere, Somebody somewhere is going to find a place to put him on a football field. I will also say this probably fits
0: right in the zone of where I think Ohio State should not be recruiting, which is national guys in the two and three hundreds. Mm-hmm. Because if Ryan Watts was from Ohio or from Indiana or Pennsylvania driving distance, sometimes you'll wait it out if you're near home. But if you came all this way and you're caught in between, it's like, what am I doing here? So this is one of those where they don't take a ton of guys in the 200s and 300s. And I think I've said before, it's almost like why I prefer like Dewan Jones in the thousands. It's like, well, just take a shot on that guy because you get 17 guys in the class who are all ranked above 200. What's the number 202 guy in the class going to do for you? And every now and then they pop and I get it. Denzel Brooks one of them, but If you're caught in between and you're a long way from home in the transfer portal era, you are not going to hang around to see how it works out, which I think is just, this is, this to me is a, this is a transfer portal, new world, one-time immediate transfer kind of thing where it's not that he was hopelessly blocked. It's not that he was, there was anything went wrong. It just didn't go right quickly enough. And he's from Texas. And so, man, if I'm going to let it work out, I can let it work out at TCU or Oklahoma or Texas or Texas Tech or Oklahoma State. And I'm not saying, but I would imagine he's going to end up at a place like that. And I think this is just the kind of thing that's become more and more normal with this era.
1: Yeah. I mean, how many like power five or really good group of five programs are in just the state of Texas? I, you know, so I, I think you're right. I think Ohio State probably needs to be. Um, a little bit smarter as it moves forward about those. I mean, you, you've brought it up before and you're right. Like, I think that you have to thread the needle a little bit on which guys you're taking for those. Cause he even started his, he made a Twitter post and it even started off saying something like when I came here a long way from home and you think it's almost going to be like him saying, Oh, I'm homesick. And I needed to, I'm going to go back home because I just want to be closer home. And then he was like, but, but everybody in Columbus welcomed me and I loved it. And I'm like, oh, well, so, so it really is just all about playing time.
0: Third member of the class of 2020 to transfer. Uh, 25 guys in that Ohio State class. Mookie Cooper was the first, then Jack Miller, and now Ryan Watts. So best of luck to Ryan Watts wherever he lands. Jim Knowles landed in a pile of money. We had guessed the other day, Nathan, what we thought he was going to get. You got the contract from Ohio State. You put in the request for that. 1.9 million for three years also got a signing bonus of more than a hundred grand so for the first year he's over two million. I noted that it was a big deal four years ago. It was February 2018. so it was after the 2017 season so four years ago when Ohio State got one million dollar coordinators for the first time when they gave that money to Ryan Day and Greg Schiano and I can remember at the Ohio State Clemson Orange Bowl in 2013, when I believe Chad Morris, the Clemson offensive coordinator was making a million dollars back then. And I wrote a story about million dollar coordinators that made it sound like he had diamonds implanted in his forehead, right? That it was like, Oh, you know, a million dollar coordinators. And now here we are the USA today assistant coaching database also happened to come out on Friday Hmm where they track all the assistant coach salaries from a year ago, he would have been the fourth highest paid assistant coach in the country. If he was making 1.9 million this year, by the way, all three guys ranked ahead of him got head coaching jobs. Yep. Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator, who who was making two and a half million left Clemson for Oklahoma, Tony Elliott. So Clemson had two Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator is now the head coach at Virginia and Mike Elko. The Texas A and M defensive coordinator just took the head job at Duke, so I would imagine there might be some like there might be other guys who become two million dollar coordinators this year, but it's also possible, Nathan, that right this second, Jim Knowles is the highest paid assistant coach in college football, right?
1: Maybe. Yeah, I, I made sure to word it. In my story such that, you know, we're referencing this data, which is uh, pertained to the 2021 season, but it's possible, uh, although I I don't know, I'm a little suspicious that uh, nobody is going to go back over that $2 million mark like, you know, there's a lot of programs out there, including, you know, for instance, Clemson and uh, Oklahoma and uh, numerous other places. Texas A&M now has to go hire a defensive coordinator to replace Mike Oko. So I think somebody's probably going to crack that, the deuce. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that Ohio State stopped at 1.9. Somebody's going to crack the deuce. Buckeye I <laughs> As soon as I said it, I knew. But th- did you think it was interesting? Okay, so I know that there's a signing bonus on there of like 140 grand. A lot of times those things get written in because it's almost like a moving expenses or you got to pay off a house or something like that. But like the 1.9 million on the, I I thought that meant something.
0: Yeah. They didn't want a $2 million headline. Yeah. They, at least they wanted almost in the headline with it. I thought that was very, very purposeful. I I guess there was also reports in Oklahoma at Oklahoma state that Oklahoma state was offering 1.3 million. So that's still, he got, they didn't have to go to 2 million to get him, but I, I also found that, not coincidental that it almost started with a two,
1: but didn't start with a two per year. You also thought the three-year thing was a big deal. Well, I don't know if I don't know if big deal is the right way to say it, but I think it's notable because we couldn't – and I asked around some of the other people that were there today, and none of us could remember Ohio State having a, a three-year assistant before. So as we discussed about you know getting some continuity there – and not wanting somebody who's going to jump and and getting somebody who could, could stick there and bring some stability, um, then maybe having that third year on there uh, from a buyout perspective or whatever makes makes a difference. Well, he's guaranteed himself he's going to get at least $5.7 million out of
0: this. That if, mm. if things go terrible, if their defense gets worse and he gets fired in the year, he's going to cash two more years of checks or whatever. If Ryan Day decides to go be the water polo coach at TCU, then Jim Knowles is going to get his $5.7 million. So they had to do whatever. I mean, this was a negotiation where the team that had played bad defense and lost to Michigan didn't have a ton of leverage with the hottest defensive coordinator in the country. I might get around to writing this at some point. I am trying to think of another time and listeners, you guys can help me with this. Tech subscribers, if you've got an answer to this, shoot us some information at 614-350-3315. When, when was another time when Ohio State tried to solve a football problem by throwing money at it to this extent? Because again, the idea, and we, we covered this already, but there were a lot of national college football writers that were like, oh, great hire by Ohio State. It was like, was it a great hire, or did they just throw a pile of money at the guy everybody wanted to hire? I guess the re- I guess the resolution was great. It did take a lot of brain power to figure this out. It took a big checkbook, so they threw money at a problem. And for instance, Brent Venables was making two point five million dollars. He wasn't making two point five million dollars when he got hired by Clemson. No. He built up to that amount. Tony Elliott built up to that amount. This was an SEC move. And whether you think that's good or bad, this is what the SEC does. LSU, when Dave Aranda left LSU after they won the national championship to go to Baylor, they threw a pile of money at Bo Pelini because they didn't know what else to do. And they were desperate. They're like, oh, he seems famous and good. And it blew up in their face in a year. They fired him in a year. But they just threw money at it. This is like a New York Yankees kind of move. And so it's one of those things. It's like, well, I don't know. Yankees fans seem pretty happy because any mistake they make, they can solve with money. It's like, hey, what what happened? It's like our defense wasn't very good. It's like, what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know, spend a lot of money. It's like, okay, what's a great idea? It is not how the Big Ten has often operated. And by the way, Michigan didn't spend nearly that much money to go get Mike McDonald out of the NFL as their defensive coordinator. And he did a pretty darn good job for a lot less than $1.9 million a year. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it is totally different, and it is an LSU, Texas A&M kind of model. It's almost like, like Bama doesn't exactly do this because they bring in the guys. like They're so eager to work with Saban. They crawl over broken glass because they're trying to rehab their careers. This is not a career rehab thing. This is just pay money for the best guy that has no connection to you. And again, I'm the guy who said you got to hire a guy with no connections. But we are not that far removed from Urban Meyer bragging about the fact that practically everybody on his staff was from Ohio. This is a guy with zero ties. And he's not here to recruit. He's getting $2 million in his first year to, as we already said, lock himself in his room, in his office, and solve this defense. They are fixing a hole with money. And that is perhaps exciting and perhaps a little like, ah, this is kind of new territory for Ohio state, but man, if it works, no one's going to be, if they make the playoff next year, Nathan, nobody's going to talk about how much money Jim Knowles is making. So no. this is the kind of thing that, that reporters talk about in the moment, but just understand that they haven't really, done this at least recently to this extent that I can think of right now. So I'm not shocked by the 1.9 million, but it just reaffirmed. And I'll say it like it reaffirmed their desperation because they, it turns out they didn't have like a secret answer to this problem. They just went after the most obvious answer and said, we're going to get them whatever we have to do. And what they had to do was give them a three-year contract for 1.9 million a year.
1: You know, when we talk so often about the resources Ohio State has and the advantages that that creates and how it is this big dog. But it, according to that database, did, Ohio State did not have the highest paid assistant coach in the Big Ten last year. That was Brent Pry, the defensive uh, coordinator at Penn State, who also just got a head coaching job. Everybody's getting a head coaching job this year, except the people at Ohio State, it seems. Um, so, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it, it, that almost seemed like a – a, again, it's almost like a purposeful thing the way that Ohio State was coordinating that a little bit. That although I guess you know Kevin Wilson was not like the full fledged offensive coordinator, and Kerry Holmes was a defensive coordinator for the first time, so he would have been again on more like that Venable's uh, elliott model where you build up to it maybe over time, the longer that you stay, and then you earn your your keep. So it, it is interesting to watch them just yeah to to write a check to solve a football problem when both, I think, you know, systemically, but also with Ryan day, that that just hasn't been the approach. Um, and, and, and now um, I'm, I'm curious what this is going to mean for the rest of the staff. Like there's still so many dominoes to fall potentially for the rest of the staff. Does Kerry Combs stay? Does Larry Johnson stay? Um, what are you doing with some of the other salaries on the staff? Because like at some point, don't you have to just for appearances sake, uh, Brian Hartline's probably due for a raise. There's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued by what happens here in the next month, what we find out in the next month as this sort of settles through and, and after bull season. It seems like the thing that Ohio
0: State needs, right? And, and we already covered that. It's new territory. And I will be very curious to watch this unfold I'll be curious to see how many other people stay, how many other changes there are, but you are really changing the environment when you bring in somebody making that much with no connections who's completely new and you have these other people here. Now the other people who, who might remain, their side of the ball defensively didn't get the job done to the standard that Ohio state needed or expected. So there's no room like you guys, if the defense had played better, then we they wouldn't be in this spot. But I am I'm not saying it's not gonna work. I mean he's he's very good at his job, that has been proven. But I just would like to note how different this is. And this is one of those things, Nathan, where that collaboration where I think we already covered this. This is not gonna be a collaboration. This is gonna be the 1.9 million guy deciding how to work the defense. And that's just gonna be a little bit different. It is. So they were up, they were on the top end of what we expected. That's been announced. People don't care that much about how you spend money. They care about how you win games. Nathan, what time do you have to get up tomorrow?
1: On Saturday. Um, as people listen to this year. I think we don't have to actually, there's no event for us until like one PM. So it's the it's a matter of do I want to have breakfast or do I want to sleep up until like, you know, 10 30 and then check out. Well, good luck
0: with that decision. Why don't you text the texters with what you decided? (laughs) 614-350-3315. Okay, so you will be in the remote location, and then you'll be writing a reaction to what happens with CJ Stroud at the Heisman Ceremony. Thanks to you guys for listening. Listen, I mean, like you guys listening, which allows us to sell ads on this podcast – And the people who are tech subscribers, which is a more direct way of compensation, but it all helps. Everybody who's consuming this is making us a little bit of money. And then that's how we can be one of four outlets at the Heisman Ceremony. And then that's how we can turn around and send people to the Rose Bowl. So, you know, it's an expensive endeavor. But if we didn't have an audience, we'd have no shot at being able to do any of it. So thanks to you guys who are listening for making it happen. You, you sent Nathan to New York. You bought Nathan a bagel. Everyone out there listening, nope. Nathan, when you're eating that bagel in New York City on Saturday morning, with each bite you take, I want you to think of the Buckeye Talk listeners and the Buckeye Talk tech subscribers. And I would like you to pull that bagel out of your mouth and just say out to the world, say out to New York City, thank you, Buckeye
1: Talk. Thank you, Buckeye Talk, for this bagel. This morning's bagel—I'm um, still counting this as Friday morning—was just a disgrace to, to bagels. It was—it was at the at the Continental breakfast at my hotel in New Jersey, and it came in like a little bag, and it was just—it was dry, and it was a disaster. So I might need to get up. That actually probably swings my decision. I think I have to get up and find a bagel in the morning.
0: Good. We'll be eagerly awaiting the text about the texture of that bagel, <laughs> Buckeye texture. Instead of Buckeye text, that also could be a thing we do eventually. All right, you guys, thanks for uh, catching up with us with Nathan's Day in New York City. The children's picture book will also be available later in the year. For Nathan Baird doing his job, I'm Doug LaMaurice sitting in my house. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.